together is to come to Christ's table. Singing's great, fellowship's good, occasionally Jeff will say a good word, but that's not why we come here. We come here to commune with our risen Savior. This morning, we're finishing up our series on thin places. Basically, the idea that there are places where the veil between our world and the spiritual world is exceptionally thin, where those worlds almost come together in a special way. And we've looked at a number of different of those, but this week we're going to look at specifically the table and how the table is a thin place. You know, eating is one of those central to life things. We all have to do it. We, we don't really have a choice. We eat. Um, some of us too much. Um, but we eat, and we eat to stay alive. Um, one recent study says that of an average lifespan of 80 years, five of those years will be spent eating. Isn't that ridiculous? Five of our 80 years are spent eating because it's such a central part of our life. And we get that, right? Because eating is something that, I mean, when you have a baby in the house, the whole household revolves around the feeding schedule, right? Uh, later on, as that child gets older, you eat together as a family. And one of the ways that you share family time is trying to come together around that table. And as you get older, then still, you, you celebrate by eating. When you have a birthday, when you have a success, you may go to a fancy restaurant or a, or a favorite meal, or it may just be a birthday cake with some candles on it, but we celebrate by eating. When we get older and, and we want to go out on a date with someone, we want to get to know them better, we take them to dinner and we share a meal. Eating is a central part of our lives. Still later, when there's a tragedy in the family, one of the ways that we show our sympathy and our compassion is through bringing food. We understand that eating is a central part of our life, and so is the table. Now, it was the same way in the Bible. If you look in the Bible, the Bible begins in a garden and ends in a great banquet in heaven. And all through the Bible, we find references to eating, references to table. Jesus spends a great deal of time eating. Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says, In Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And that's pretty true. And if it was that important to Jesus, it should be that important to us. It's hard for us to understand because in our culture, eating is different. Many of you will, will stay for the, the potluck today, and there will be tables filled with a bounty of choices. Still others of you, you have, you have commitments and, and have already made plans, and, and you'll leave here, and you'll have even more choices. And because we have pantries filled with food and refrigerators filled with food and, and we have tons of choices. And, and, but for them, eating was less about pleasure and was more about survival. Your day was spent preparing for the one big meal that you would have at the end of the day. 
The whole day would be spent cultivating food, preparing food. You would get up early in the morning to bake the bread or, or, or they would get up to, to cure, prepare uh, whatever meat they had if they were lucky and wealthy enough to have that. Um, the whole day would be spent gathering food, securing food, cleaning, preparing, getting food ready to serve so that you would have this meal at the end of the day. All the time would be spent preparing to sit down at this table. Now, we don't get that because we don't have to do that. And theirs was also different than ours because they didn't have dining rooms. Actually, most of their houses were about the size of some of our dining rooms. They didn't have dining rooms, and a lot of their meals would be taken outside. That makes sense when you realize we're talking about being in the desert, and uh, there is no air conditioning, there's no uh, refrigeration, and so the cool of the evening outdoors, either on a roof or in a courtyard if you're wealthy enough to have that, or just at a table outside in the front or back of your home, that was where you would, you would find people eating. The, and, and then there was no sense of privacy. If, if you were setting your food down on the table and, and, and if I'm preparing my meal and, and you were my neighbor or you were walking by, you could see what I was doing. And if you were of the same station as me, if you were of the same level as me, you would take your food and come join me and we would put our food together and we would share in a meal. That's, that's how they did it. We don't understand that because food for us is not about survival. Food for them was about what I had for that day and am I going to have enough to make it to the next day. And so when you pooled your resources, when you came together in the table, it was about sharing. It was about sharing a meal and more importantly, it was about sharing life. So... To share a table with someone, to invite someone to your table, was to share life with them. But more than that, it wasn't just to commune together. You were inviting them into your sphere. You were inviting them into your realm, somewhat into your family. They were a part of who you were now when you shared a table with them. You approved of them. You blessed them. You included them. They were identified with you. That's why it's such a big deal in 2 Samuel when, G, when, when David says to Mephibosheth, you will forever eat at the king's table. That wasn't just an invitation to dinner. That was putting him on the same level as Amnon, as Absalom, as Solomon. He was now a prince of Egypt. I mean, of, of Israel, sorry. That's a movie. In John 14, Jesus addresses his apostles and tells them not to be afraid. He tells them in his father's house are many rooms and that he will go and prepare a place for them. That word that's translated place is the same word that Jesus uses when he's telling the banquet, uh, when he's telling the parable of the banquet. And he says, you don't take the place of honor. You take a lesser place. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to secure your seat. I'm going to prepare the table. And when the table is ready, I will invite you to come take your seat and be a part of that table. 
See, kings don't prepare tables, but ours does. When David says, thou prepares a table before me, he's not talking about sheep anymore. He's talking about a king preparing a table and inviting him to be a part of it. That you are now a prince. You are now included in the king's household. That you are forever invited to sit at the table of the king. But you know, we don't act like that. We don't act like that we already have a seat reserved at the table of the king, do we? Some of us are living like like we don't deserve to be there. Like we shouldn't be there. Some of us are living like we've got to fight for that place. We've got to be good enough. We've got to be righteous enough. We've got to be holy enough that we get that seat. But that's not what the Bible says. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? You are already seated with Christ Jesus. You are already reserved a seat at Christ's table. It's already prepared for you. It's not about whether you're good enough. It's not about whether you're, you're holy enough. It's not about whether you're smart enough or perfect enough or any of those things. It's about Jesus. Jesus prepared the place for you. Jesus reserves the seat for you. And He invites you to be part of His realm, to be part of His sphere, to be part of His kingdom. He invites you to His table. I read online this week, someone wrote, Church should be good friends, good food, and good conversation over a good meal. Now that sounds great. But that's not Jesus' table. Jesus' table is not some Western idea of us gathering around a bountiful feast. Jesus' table is people that can't stand each other sitting down together. Jesus' table is Gentiles and Jews coming together to eat. Jesus' table is a tax collector that worked for the Roman government and a zealot, which was a Middle Eastern terrorist that was living to overthrow the government, sitting down at the same table. Jesus' table is when He not only serves, but He washes the feet of those who would betray Him, of those who would deny Him. That's Jesus' table. It's a hard thing for us to grasp. Jesus not only welcomed the righteous Pharisees, He welcomed the sinful, the poor, the tax collectors. Jesus ate with everyone. One of the reasons they got so upset with Jesus is because He didn't differentiate. We get so hung up on the miracle when we look at the feeding of the 5,000, we don't realize that He ate with all of those people. For a Jew, that's a big deal. Because there's no way to determine whether all of those people are clean or unclean. And he didn't have to. Because the unclean didn't contaminate Jesus. Jesus made the unclean clean. This morning, we are invited to his table. This morning, we are going to come together as a body to the table of Jesus. It's a place where we meet Him, where we commune with Him. It is our seat that has already been prepared by Him where we find life and peace in bread and wine. Accept that invitation as we enter into worship.
as we come to his table. Will you bow with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we praise you, Lord. We thank you for the gift of your table. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together, that we can sit at your table, that we can share in your body and in your blood, and in doing so, be reminded that we have found salvation through Christ Jesus. We praise you for that invitation. We praise you for that table. We thank you, Lord, for that blessing. Lord, we pray that you make our hearts right this morning. You focus our minds. You focus our hearts. You focus our souls on Jesus as we come and sit together with him at his table. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The world, but especially in the Middle East, children are brought up to think of bread as possessing magical power. Bread is mystical. For example, if, uh, if a child is walking down the road and they find a piece of bread on the road, they are to take that piece of bread and to kiss it, to bless it, and to put it on a ledge where it won't be trampled. Because bread is synonymous with life. Literally, bread is called the aish, the life giver. And so... While it is a, a, a custom, a, a requirement that if a stranger comes in, especially a, someone comes into your feast who is of a higher station, you should stand up and welcome them. If he, they come in during the breaking of the bread, the bread is more important. Regardless of their station, you will finish the bread. The bread should be honored first. Bread sustains life. Bread was life. Culturally and historically, in many parts of the world, but especially in the Middle East, it, it was assumed that you could never act violently to someone you had broken bread with. We don't understand that, but when you see Middle East peace talks, it's why we have such a hard time getting them to sit down at a table together. Because by sitting at a table together, by breaking bread together, they are making a peace accord, whether it's written on a sheet of paper or not. And they will not do that because I can't be at war with someone I've broken bread with. I cannot kill someone I have broken bread with. So eating together becomes a form of peacemaking. By contrast, refusing to eat with someone signals hostility. It signals that you are outside of my realm. So in light of all this, we see the association between the Lord's Supper and peacemaking. That to break bread with someone, to share bread with someone, is a declaration of solidarity. It's a declaration of peace. It is sharing together in life. More so for us as Christians, it's sharing in the broken body of our Lord. In John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. As we pass this bread this morning, we're going to commune. We're going to join together. And symbolically, I want you to help me out. As you pass this bread to the person next to you, I want you to say to them, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. We are going to share. We are going to commune. 
We're going to remind one another of the importance of the holiness of the life-giving nature of this bread in this communion right now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, bless us as we come to your table, Lord. We are not worthy to sit at the king's table. We are not worthy to partake of this bread. We only find our worth through the broken Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. The prophet Amos is prophesying here about the coming of the Messiah. What the promised one of, when the promised one of God came, the mountains will drip sweet wine. Amos is not promising a kegger, he's foretelling the coming of the kingdom. The cup would be a marker of the coming Messiah. Jesus' first miracle affirmed that. At Cana, at the wedding, he turns water that is there for the ritual purification, for cleaning, so that you could share a table together. He turns that into wine that symbolizes fellowship, coming together, sharing. He turned the formality into fellowship. Paul says he still maintains that fellowship even today. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. A participation in the blood. A participation in the body. That word translated participation here is koinonia. The same word that is translated fellowship. The cup that we share is a fellowship with the blood of Christ. Paul teaches us that when we come to the table, it is a real encounter. Not a funeral for a dead Lord. This is a real encounter of sharing a table with a risen, live Savior. We are participating in the blood of Christ. That koinonia fellowship creates a body of believers shaped by the cross. That through bread and wine, we fellowship with Christ and we fellowship with one another. The bread and wine of the Lord's Supper actually fosters a vertical and horizontal relationship. As we pass this tray this morning, as we pass this cup, I want you to say this is the blood of Christ shed for you. We're not saying that this is magically transferring grape juice into blood. We're saying this is to us as believers the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we again come to you humbly recognizing our own sinfulness recognizing our own impurity and rejoicing that through the shed blood of Jesus we are cleansed whiter than snow. Lord, bless us as we partake of this cup. 
let us do it in a manner pleasing in your sight as we commune with our risen Lord and with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're often most fully alive when we're sharing life around a table. We shouldn't be surprised then to find that throughout the Bible, God shows up at tables. Think about it. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the people of God have always been centered around a table. The table of Passover for the Jews, the table of communion for Christians. Think of all the times that God has shown up throughout the Bible at tables. The covenant meal the elders of Israel enjoyed when, when they met God on Mount Sinai. They went up and they ate on the mountain with God. They shared a table. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. And they beheld God and ate and drank. The Old Testament prophets compare the, the, the life in the new heavens and the new earth with a divine banquet table. In the New Testament, we find Jesus over and over and over reclining at table. His kingdom work, fostering true community, demonstrating reconciliation with God, is found at the table. In, in Later on, we find Jesus calling us to gather around his table, enjoying fellowship with him and with his brothers, with our brothers and sisters. We read later in Acts, the early church gathered regularly in homes to break bread together. A practical expression that was not just about communion, it was about sharing a table. It was about sharing a meal together. The apostles continually exhort us in the epistles to show hospitality. Um, and, and then finally, at the end in Revelations, we, we find our eternal joyous communion with God and our brothers and sisters depicted as a great marriage supper of the Lamb. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright wrote, When Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. In Matthew's account of the Last Supper, he writes, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. That same pattern of language, blessing, breaking, and giving, shows up in the accounts of Jesus' miraculous feedings, it shows up when Jesus is meeting with disciples. It shows up over and over and over in the life of Jesus. Blessing, breaking, and giving. It's the shape of Jesus' ministry. It's the shape of the Christian life. Blessing, breaking, and giving. The table is a place of blessing. See, my grandmother... Her love language was food, right? Some of you understand that. If you've ever heard of love languages, the experts say that we all have certain things that we, that we are how we show and receive love. One of her love languages was preparing food. She would spend hours endlessly in a kitchen preparing food to bless us with. That was her love language. That was one of the ways she showed her care for us. I'm convinced 
that one of God's love languages is also food. Think about it. We have some 10,000 taste buds. That's unnecessary. If God just wanted us to eat for sustenance, to maintain this thing, He wouldn't have had to give us all that. We don't need that. That's a blessing on us. God gave us that so that we could enjoy that sustenance. It's a display of grace, quite honestly, because the table is a place of blessing. The table is a place to remember the blessing of God. One ancient prayer of the early church that was based on an even more ancient Hebrew prayer says, Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, for you give us food to sustain our lives and make our hearts glad. We need to recover some of that, right? We need to recover that the table is a place of blessing. The table is a thin place. Not just this table in this place at this time. The table is a thin place. When two or more are gathered together, there I am also. The table is a place of blessing. But the table is also a place of brokenness. One of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture occurs on the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus has appeared in John, and, and he's on the shore, and he calls out to him, Have you caught any fish? Because they've been out there fishing all night. Because when the going gets tough, the tough go fishing. And Peter and all his friends are out there doing what they're comfortable with, and you know the story. They jump, Peter jumps in the water and swims to shore. And here he is, emerging from the sea, right? Dripping wet, facing the Lord that the last time he faced, he was betraying. He was saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And he smells a familiar smell. The word that John the storyteller uses to describe the fire that Jesus made is a word that only occurs one other place in Scripture. Ever. It's the same word that is used for the fire in the courtyard that Peter was warming himself around when he was betraying Christ, when he was denying Christ. So in Peter's mind, shame smells like a charcoal fire. That's not an accident. And you know what Jesus invites him to? Breakfast. He invites him to a meal because the table is a place of brokenness where broken sinners find wholeness, where broken sinners find life. He invites us, our brokenness, to the same table. The table is a place where broken sinners find connection and belonging. And finally, the table is a place of givenness. I know I made that word up, it's okay. The table is a place of givenness. As Christians, we are a people who are blessed, broken, and given. That final one reminds us that we didn't receive this gift. We didn't receive this grace. We didn't receive this bounty to hold on to it. We didn't receive this to build walls and keep it inside of ourselves. We receive this to give it. To freely give what we have received to a lost and dying world. God's mission is to rescue and renew this broken creation. And I'm convinced that our dinner tables have the potential to be the most missional places in our lives. 
where we share meals, when we share food, not just with fellow believers, but with unbelievers. When we share food with those who don't know Christ, we are inviting them to Christ's table. By his own admission, Jesus had a reputation among the religious establishment for being a glutton and a drunkard. They didn't just make up those words to accuse him with. When the Pharisees called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard, they're referring to Deuteronomy 21.20. They're implying that Jesus' table fellowship deserves death. It's a very serious accusation. And Jesus embraces it. Because eating for Jesus was a means by which he proclaimed the arrival of God's kingdom. Receiving, recovering table fellowship as a spiritual discipline is something we would do well to pursue. When Jesus eats with the travelers on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, we see this same pattern. Blessing, breaking, giving. Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now I'm going to stop there because Luke really annoys me right here. Luke gives details of everything. He is the most detailed of all the gospel writers. You couldn't record that? Jesus explained everything in all of Scripture and how it pertained to him. You couldn't record that, Luke? Thank you. Sorry, that's my little, that was free. When they arrive at the place where they are staying, they convince him to stay with them, and he does, and he joins them at the table in verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Finally, the table is a thin place because it is there that Christ is truly revealed to us. It's there that our eyes are opened and we recognize Him. It's a place where we fully see Him. It's important because this week as you prepare tables, as you prepare to join others in a table, remember that that table is a thin place. It's a place where God joins in with us, where two or more are gathered together. There I am also. It is a place where we find fellowship, where we find koinonia. It's not just at this table at this time. Let's recover that spiritual aspect of sharing a table with one another. This morning, there's some of you who this has spoken to you directly because You've never joined Christ at His table. You feel like, I, I don't belong there. I'm not church material. I, I, I'm not a churchy person, Jeff. Hey, that's great. You know what? Look around you. Ain't nobody here a churchy person. We're not here because we're churchy people. We're here because we're broken sinners who found wholeness at the table of Christ. When we come to Jesus when we confess Him publicly, when we repent of our sins, when we are buried with Him in baptism, we are raised to a new life. And the Bible says we are filled with the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And then when we come around this table, it's not just a table anymore. It is a participation in the blood and the body of our risen Lord. This morning, if you've never come to that table, this is the time. We're going to sing a song, and that's what this is for. It's for you to come to the table. It's for you to come and say, I, I'm done with doing things my way. I'm done with trying to make this on my own. 
I want to accept this seat at the table that Jesus is preparing for me. If you need to accept that invitation, now is the time. That tug that you feel on your heart is not me. It's the Holy Spirit. And He's calling you to take your seat, to take your place that He has prepared for you. Accept that call right now while together we stand and sing.